0: Uh, we're starting a new series today, which I am joyful about, um, a fellowship of joy, and I, um, I think it's good for us to be doing this after Easter. It's good for us to be reflecting on the effect that um, the risen Christ actually has in our life on a day-by-day basis. Otherwise, Easter can become... A, uh, a ritual that we just pause once in the year to remember. But does Jesus have an effect on our lives any other time? We're going to be going through over the next seven weeks the book of Philippians. So if you're not familiar with the book of Philippians, I would recommend you. It's only four chapters long. You can sit and read it in you know, 15 minutes pretty easily. Um, but I would recommend you getting it out this week. And spending some time, just read it through in one sitting if you can, or break it up over a couple of days and spend some time getting to know it. For the next seven weeks, this is where we're going to be. The book of Philippians, a fellowship of joy. Why don't you find it now in your Bibles? And we're going to read just the opening verses together and reflect on it a little bit this morning. While you're doing that, I'm going to pray while you're turning to Philippians chapter 1. Got it? Great. Lord, we thank you for your presence with us. We thank you that the risen Lord Jesus reigns. We thank you that you are a part of everything in this world that we see around us, that exists for you, including our lives. But we're not called to some somber existence of just suffering and enduring, although there are difficult things that we work through in our life you have called us to find our joy in you and with each other so as we turn our attention to this book the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi but by the Holy Spirit to us also Lord give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you are saying to us this morning in Jesus name Amen. I think I have a title. Uh, what have I got in The I couldn't remember what, what translation I put up in there. It looks like we're doing the ESV. All right. So let's uh, turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to read the first 11 verses together from the ESV. Okay. Verse 1. You got it? Great. Paul and Timothy... Servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy to the glory and praise of God. And that's God's word. Before we turn our attention to just that passage itself, I think it would be good for us to go back and think about this city of Philippi for a moment, this church that Paul is writing a letter to. So what happened in Philippi? Well, Acts 16 Records. You don't have to go there, but it would be good for you to bookmark it maybe and go back and read this chapter through maybe this afternoon or tomorrow. Acts 16 records the planting of the church in Philippi. And to which some years later, Paul would write this letter that we just read the introduction to back to this letter, which is, this letter is a really heartfelt, it's a very affectionate letter. That Paul writes to this young church in Philippi. But what happened there? What happened there? So here's a summary of Acts 16, really quickly, to refresh our memories about Paul's relationship to this young church in the city of Philippi. So Acts 16 picks up the story. Paul's first missionary journey has ended, and he'd settled back in his home church, which is in the city of. Antioch but after a while he and his traveling companion from the first trip Barnabas they they said look we we really want to go back and visit all these little churches that we planted on our first trip and see how they're going and encourage them in the faith so it was on this second trip that Paul makes the Holy Spirit interrupts his plans to go back and revisit all the first churches that he had planted. The Holy Spirit interrupts Paul's plans and makes it clear that he had another mission for him to do. Paul had a vision where a man from the region of Macedonia was asking for Paul's help. And so he put aside his plans and he made arrangements to get across to this new area. When he arrived, he dropped into a few small towns, but then Paul ends up in the Macedonian city of Philippi. Now we know by reading through the book of Acts in particular and sort of just taking note of what Paul does, Paul's usual practice when he gets to a new city is to go and find the Jewish synagogue. That's what Paul normally did. He was a Jew. He knew how to talk to Jewish people of the Hebrew faith. And so he would go to this new city in a Gentile uh, Gentile city and he would go and find the synagogue and he would start talking with the leaders and the people that were gathered there. But it would seem that in Philippi there was little or no Jewish presence in that city and it would seem that there was no synagogue there. So instead, Paul heads to where he expects might be a place of prayer, where spiritually minded people might gather And he finds it outside the city gates on the banks of the river that Philippi is built on. And Paul finds a small group of women who gather regularly to pray. And Paul shares with them the good news of Jesus Christ and his grace. Now, one of those women in particular, the Bible tells us in Acts 16, her name was Lydia. She hears... And believes the gospel and shares it with her entire family. All her family believed the gospel. And very soon after, they were all baptized and the church in Philippi was born. One woman influencing her family and a little church. Maybe just a house church. Maybe it was church on the banks of the river. I don't know. But a little church was born in Philippi. Lydia was probably a fairly wealthy businesswoman and Paul and his companions, he had a group of people with him, were invited to stay with her family. Now it would seem that Paul, as we read through Acts 16, it would seem that every day Paul would leave Lydia's home with his companions, maybe others with him, new Christians, and they would walk through the city, out the gates and go back to the place of prayer by the riverbank. Now, that was a daily practice that they made. However, as they were walking backwards and forwards between Lydia's house and the river, they walked through the marketplace. In that marketplace was a group of men who were exploiting a slave girl who was possessed by a spirit Of being able to foresee the future or see into people's lives, the Bible says, a spirit of divination. Every day, as Paul walked past that stall in the marketplace, this young girl would follow after them, calling out, These men who are proclaiming to you a way of salvation are the servants of the Most High God. There's an announcement for you. Walking through the marketplace, a spirit controlled girl, evil spirit controlled girl, calling out, These men who are proclaiming to you a way of salvation are servants of the Most High God. The Bible says that she did this for many days. Eventually, Paul got annoyed. I tend to think that Paul got annoyed fairly easy, actually. But either way, Paul got annoyed. He eventually spun around one day and dealt with it. He didn't speak harshly to the girl. But he spoke harshly to the spirit that was controlling her. He said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her straight away. This caused a massive uproar. The men who were controlling and exploiting this realized that they had lost their source of income. You see, they were exploiting her ability by charging people. You want to know the future? You want to know what's going on in your life? You pay us money and we'll let you talk to this girl. The spirit's gone out of her now. Now she doesn't have that ability. So they drag Paul and Silas, his travelling companion, before the city council and they make their accusations that they are causing public nuisances. They've caused disruption in the marketplace. The crowd turns on, they were sentenced to be publicly beaten and then they were imprisoned. That's how come Paul and Silas end up with their feet in stocks singing hymns at midnight in a jail in Philippi. But God wasn't done with this city yet. An earthquake strikes. The foundations of the jail are altered. The gates spring open. And the head jailer, a hard Roman soldier, fears the public shame of failing at his post. And so he prepares to take his own life. Paul stops him. And throughout the whole ordeal, the, the jailer is so moved by Paul and Silas that he asks them what he must do to be saved. And Paul responds to him, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your, your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him, along with everyone in his house. And Acts 16 says, he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds right away. He and all his family were baptised. He brought them into his house. He set a meal before them and rejoiced because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. So now this church in Philippi has grown. We have a, a wealthy businesswoman, Lydia. We've got a hardened soldier who was the head of a correctional facility and his family and the Bible refers to, refers to also others, the brothers that were there. Other people had heard and believed. It's made up of all sorts of people from all sorts of walks of life. Eventually, the town council allowed Paul and Silas to leave jail on the condition they also leave town. And so Acts 16 closes with, after leaving the jail, they came to Lydia's house where they saw and encouraged the brothers and the sisters and they departed. That's how the church in Philippi began. And Paul loved them. Paul cared so deeply for this church. It had been born out of the power of the gospel to save sinners. And it would seem that this church held a very special place in the affection of Paul's heart. We know that he visited here at least on one other occasion. And his letter to them carries, I think, one of the most tender and fatherly tones that you will read in any of his letters to any of the churches that he wrote to. It's written to them quite some time later. And interestingly enough... He spent time in jail in Philippi, and this letter, the letter to the church in Philippi, was written at a later date while Paul was in jail again. Here's a lesson that we can take from that don't buy into the lie that you should come to Jesus to live your best life now. That's garbage. Paul spent half his Christian life being beaten and imprisoned for his faith. But it's out of this hardship that Paul writes this beautiful letter, a letter which is a fellowship of joy. So let's turn our attention to that. Now you're going to have to excuse me for a moment and Sandra, you can... You can see if this is going to work. We're going to try something a little bit different with our technology this morning. If you're on the live stream, I'm sorry, you're not going to see some of this. We, I did not have time to try and work that out this week. All right. How are we looking? We've got a blank screen. That's actually a really good start. Great. Uh, it really is. Okay. Good. Let's, let's switch something. I'm going to do something here. we're not watching oprah conversations <laughs> oh okay that's working let's make it a bit bigger that's about as good as i can get it today we're going to cope with that all right what i want to do this morning is i actually want to try and show you a couple of key key connections in this text so i want you to look at your bible And then just reference this and I'll explain what I'm doing for those that can't see the screen. Philippians 1, we're going to look at verses 1 through 11. And I just want to actually draw some connections out for you so that you can see it in the text. And we're just going to make some basic observations about it. It starts like a lot of Paul's letters do. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints... In Christ Jesus, who are in Philippi with the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul recognizes right from the outset that even in his affections for them, even in his fellowship with these people, even in his love for this church, he desires them to understand the grace and peace of God. Great way to start. But here's where. I think we start to see Paul's affection for them. So let's start going through the text, and I want you to look at all the words that sort of point us towards the fact that Paul has a certain emotion, certain feeling towards these people. And so we can write, okay, joy is the first one in verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for making all making my prayer with joy. Paul's prayer for them is joyful okay, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way. Paul feels a certain way. Whoa. All right. Paul has joy, and now he says, It's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. All right. He has some heart. Feeling Some affection for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness. How I yearn for you. I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Etc., we're going to come back to those last verses in a minute. I just want to show you the way that they connect together. Let's start at the bottom. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you with the affection of Christ. So, the type of affection that Paul has gives him a sense of yearning, of longing. Now I think that a lot of us can relate to that in the way that last year when we were in the middle of some of the really harsh lockdown laws and we weren't allowed to leave our houses and we weren't allowed to have guests over and we weren't allowed to gather as a church and we weren't allowed to go to social engagements and, we were and all of a sudden what was happening even for introverts like me who don't get a lot of energy from gathering with lots of people inside was this yearning. I want to connect with people, right? We miss each other. And when we saw each other, when we were allowed to gather again, there was this real joy, wasn't there? We're together again. Or maybe it's a family member that lives far away from you and you haven't seen them for quite some time and you long, you yearn to be with them. Paul felt like that about the church in Philippi. And he said that that yearning was actually an affection of Christ. That yearning came from his heart. I hold you in my heart. There was a special place that this church had in Paul's thought life, his, his feelings. He said it was right for me to Feel this way about you. It's right for me to feel this way about you. We can draw connections back to there. And ultimately what that did was that every time Paul thought about these people, even though he was stuck in a prison cell somewhere, miles away from them, and hadn't seen them for years, he said, every time I think about you, every time I pray for you, I well up with what? Joy. I well up with joy. So we can trace this emotion, this feeling, but I want you to notice something really specific about it. It's this. I want you to notice that the the joy that he had is because of something. Do you see that? In verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. Paul's joy, Paul's feeling, Paul's heart, Paul's yearning, Paul's affection was because of something. It had a foundation. It had a Reason, And it starts with a reason, which is, I feel this way about you because you are truly partners with me in the gospel. This was not just Paul out doing his thing. This is not just the church in Philippi doing their thing. It was because of your relationship with me, because of the fact that you have partnered with me in the gospel from the very first day until now. That's the reason I have joy. That's the reason why I feel the way I do about you. That's the reason I hold you in my heart and I yearn for you with the affection of Christ, is because you have joined with me. Now, there's a bunch of other reasoning words in this. I want to show them to you. So, after joy, we've got because of your partnership in the gospel. We can underline that. Because of your partnership in the gospel verse 8, sorry verse what is it? verse 6 I scribbled over it. Let's come back to that one. That's one of our coffee cup verses. That's the one that ends up on plaques at Kurong easily. But we'll come back and look at that one in a minute, make sure that we understand what it's actually saying. It's right for me to feel this way in verse 7 about you all because Because why? Well, because I hold you in my heart. I feel joyful about you. Because I hold you in my heart. For, that's another word that you could use like because, it gives you a reason. So because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace. Can you see the with me and the partnership? You are with me, but you are also partners with me. And you are with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense of the confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Here's the main thing that I want you to take out of that first part, those first eight verses. One thing is, I have poor handwriting. Second thing is, the joy that Paul's talking about... Is not a superficial joy. I mean, he's writing this letter to them from prison. We know that when he spent time in Philippi, he spent time in prison. We know that at midnight, he was singing hymns. His feet were in stocks. He'd been beaten severely, it says, publicly shamed, stripped of his clothes, beaten and battered and imprisoned and put in stocks and all unfairly. And Paul sings. He sings. He is joyful. And now he writes again from prison and he is joyful. Where does that joy come from? Where does joy come from? Our fellowship in Christ, our fellowship of joy, is it just something that we have to find and eke out some sort of joy depending on the circumstances that we're facing in life? I've had a bad day today. I'm not joyful. I've had a good day today. I am joyful. Is our joy connected by a string to the circumstances of the events of our day, much of which we have little control over? Or is our joy connected to something deeper? Paul says, my joy, the way that I feel, my heart, my yearning, my affection, it's connected to you. It's connected to the partnership of the gospel. It's connected to those who are partakers with me in grace, despite my circumstances. From that day to this, he says, whether I've been in jail, whether I've been free, whether I've been happy, whether I've been sad, regardless, he says, my joy, it's right for me to feel this way because I am connected to you in the gospel. So here's what I want you to take from this. We ask ourselves, where do we find our joy? Where do we find our joy? Now, I get it. There's some tough stuff that some of us are moving through, right? I know some of you sitting here, some of you listening online, you are dealing with, we are dealing with heavy things in life. I am not saying... And Paul is not saying that we walk around all the time with fake Christian smiles on our face. Saying, well, praise the Lord. Aren't we happy all the time? No. Happiness and joy are different. You you may not be happy about some of the circumstances that you have in your life. But let me tell you, when you are connected deeply through the gospel in Christ and with other people Even in the hard experiences of life, there is a joy that we can know in Christ. This is a joy that is founded more deeply on gospel realities. There is gospel truths at work in Paul's life and the church in Philippi's life. And there's gospel truths at work in our life that we are known by the God of the universe and loved. That God is not finished with the circumstances, that God is working even through hardship to shape us and do something in us that we can be absolutely certain of. That's why we have this wonderful verse that deserves to be on coffee cups, that we deserve even better, commit it to memory, repeat it to yourself regularly. I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it. To completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I am absolutely, Paul says, certain of this. Now he's talking about the partnership of the gospel that he has. That God is at work in our lives. And he says, listen, I'm certain of it. There's one thing I know. That he who began a good work in you, that's Jesus, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So it's right for me to feel this way about you, he says because I hold you in my heart. All right, let's turn our attention to the last few verses of this thing. So down to verse 9, verse 11. The way this passage, these 11 verses are structured, Paul starts by reintroducing himself to this church in Philippi and assuring them of his love and affection for them. And the fact that his affection for them is based in the gospel, The good news of Jesus Christ and his grace has forged a relationship between Paul and the church in Philippi, and it has formed a strength of relationship that you won't find anywhere else in this world. It's formed the fellowship of grace. But then when we get to verse 9, Paul then says, listen, I told you that I pray for you with joy. Here's what I pray for you. And this is where I want us to finish and turn our attention to in this last bit of time that we have. So let's read it together, refresh our memory. About what he says, and then we'll just draw a couple of connections. Verse 9 It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. All right, I'm going to highlight that as we go. So we're just going to look at this section here. All right, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. Let's underline your love may abound. That's what Paul's praying. He gets on his knees and with joy, he remembers the church in Philippi and he says, my prayer for you is I think of all of the people there. Maybe he thinks of Lydia. Maybe he thinks of the jailer. Maybe he thinks of some of the people that beat him, that actually came to faith. Others that he had met and shared the gospel with. Others that maybe he hadn't yet met because Lydia had been sharing her faith and the jailer had been sharing her faith and the multiplication of disciples was happening. But he was thinking of the church in Philippi and he says, when I pray for you guys, my prayer is that your love may abound. You know what abound means? Extend. Push beyond the barriers. Grow. I want your love to continue to grow. And then he adds strength to it by saying more and more. I want you to grow more and more. I want you to stretch more and more. I want you just to keep going. Keep going. Let your love grow. That sounds nice, isn't it? All you need is love. I mean, the world around us has the same message, right? Love. It's all we need. Isn't it all nice that we just love each other? We feel good about each other. Now, we know that already from the passage, Paul has said, no, no, joy isn't connected necessarily to the circumstances that you're in. Joy is connected to something deeper. And here he's going to say something similar about love. Because the message that we get of love from Hollywood, the message that we get it from our sitcoms, from wherever else, what other media we receive, that love, it's pretty poor, isn't it? I mean, the messages of love that we can get through the world—it's some of it may have a shadow of truth to it, but it, it lacks a lot of substance. And Paul is going to drive our understanding of love to be beyond just something which is just an affection or a feeling or a circumstantial thing. He says, "I want your love to grow, to abound more and more, with something, with." You see it? With knowledge and discernment. I want your love to abound and grow with knowledge and discernment. That's, that's, those two words are not things that we would normally hear about love in the world. Love can be passion. Love could even be necessary. maybe commitment even. You know, Faithfulness, all good things. But love with knowledge, or love with discernment they're surprising words. Do you understand the difference between knowledge and discernment? Knowledge is, funnily enough, knowing stuff. I know, mind-blowing, right? You just learned something. Your knowledge increased. We can love with knowledge. In fact, there's a deeper love when you actually really know someone, right? It's pretty, love, it's pretty easy to love someone when you don't know a lot about them because the things that we put on the surface for everyone else to see are the good things. I want you to like me. That's why I only show you the things that I think that you will like. <laughs> but the people who know me best, well, they, they see through that. They see deeper parts of me. They become aware of things about my life that maybe no one else knows. It's much harder to love me when you get to know me. That's true if you've been married for a long time. If you know that about your spouse, those of you who have been married for quite some years. Sometimes it's harder to love people We even say that, oh, I really like that person, but then I found out this thing about them. Now I don't like them anymore. Paul says, I want your love to abound more and more with knowledge. That our love for people, even though we know them. Who knows us the best? Of all the people in this entire universe and beyond, who knows us the best? God does. He sees every secret. Every dark place, every shameful corner of your life. And guess what he says? I love you so much so that I will give my son for you to redeem you. I want you. You are precious to me. And he sees everything about you, everything about me. I want your love to abound more and more, Paul says, with knowledge. But the difference between knowledge and discernment... Knowledge is knowing something. Discernment is what to do with that knowledge. You can know something about someone. Discernment will tell you whether you should tell everyone about that knowledge. (laughs) Blab about it all over Facebook. I wish Facebook could invent a discernment filter... And I wish the people that use Facebook could learn and develop a discernment filter. Knowledge and discernment, Paul says, that's how I want your love to grow. To know the truth and love and to have discernment as to how to use that knowledge with people and love people through it. So my prayer is that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment. We're not done. So that. See that? Paul's prayer for abounding knowledge, abounding love in knowledge and discernment, he actually has something, he has an end game in mind. He wants it to achieve something in these people's lives. So that you may approve what is excellent. Use your knowledge and your discernment to look at the situation around you and approve what is excellent. To say, these things are good and worthy. And so be, he's continuing, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Now, I don't know about you, I read things like that and just go, well, I've already failed. What do I do? When Jesus turns up, I look at my life, I look at the things that I'm doing, the things that I've done, and I go, well, I'm already out of the race. Pure and blameless, who can do that? How how can we stand before Jesus and say, well, here I am, Jesus. I've been abounding in love with knowledge and discernment, and here I am, I am pure, and I am blameless. But look, We are filled with what? Filled with our ability to do that? Filled with our ability to always get everything right? Or filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ? There is a fruit of righteousness, there is a standing before God where we can be pure and holy and it has nothing to do with your ability to get everything right all the time. Yes, Paul wants us to grow in love. It's no excuse to sit on our backside and just say, oh well, Jesus loves me, everything's going to work out. It'll be all coffee cup one day, good works You know, it's going to be Jesus bringing it to completion. That's true, but it's no excuse for us to sit on our backside and just treat people like garbage. With love, we use knowledge and discernment. We approve what is right in our life and we engage in that. We identify what is harmful and we dismiss that. And we will stand pure and blameless one day in the day of Christ because he will bring it to completion, but it won't be to do with you. The gospel tells us that the fruit of righteousness that grows in our life comes through Jesus Christ. Now, all of that scribble. Two things I need you to remember. One is, our joy, it's not connected to our circumstances. Our joy, both in Christ and with each other, in the fellowship of joy that we exist in, is connected to the truth of the gospel. That we are partakers of grace together. Second thing I want you to remember, that love... Love is founded deeply in the truth of what God is doing in us. And love is meant to achieve something. It's going somewhere. It's not just some emotion that we feel in the day. It's not just some experience that we can say, well, it was really nice to be a part of that church service. It felt really loving. Some days it won't. Some days you won't feel it. I didn't really feel it today. Paul says, no, I want your love to grow. I want it to abound. I want it to just continue on more and more, deeper and deeper. But it it happens in real places with knowledge and with discernment. And it happens because God is at work in us. So that's where the fellowship of joy starts. It starts with a mutual growing together. I'm committed. I'm committed to seeing that happen here in this church. Many of you are committed to that also. Wouldn't it be great? Prayer night when we gather. Or when you're praying with your family or your core group or just praying alone. You could pray this prayer for your church family. If you think, I don't know what to pray I know about people who are not feeling well or people who have lost their job. I can pray for those things in their life. But what do I pray for you? When I don't know, turn to Philippians chapter 1 and verse 9. And think of someone in this church or a family in this church and pray this it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Why? Well, it's for the praise and the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. And our prayer for each other is that our love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment. We pray that our joy might be rooted in the gospel, that we might know what it means to be loved by you and so be able to love one another. Help us to be partners together in the gospel so that we might grow together both in joy and in love and we pray all of this for your sake and for your glory amen